0: It was the psalmist David in the 103rd Psalm who said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We bless his name because he is the one that we worship. He is the only one that we worship. We owe him all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our thanksgiving because he's holy and we're not. We are well on our way towards a life of holiness, but we're not there yet. And uh, we look forward to the day when we will worship the Lord uh, in his presence, in the fullness of his presence when we get to heaven. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Last week we began a series, a new series of messages looking at the times where Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. He spent three and a half years with his disciples performing a ministry that his father had given him. And the final part of his earthly ministry was at the cross on Calvary. And uh, he went to the cross to pay the price for all of humanity's sins. And he told his disciples just hours before his death, That indeed he would be crucified, but three days later he would come out of that grave. And sure enough, he did. And so we want to spend the next six weeks taking a look at some of the appearances that Jesus made to his disciples. This is something that we've not done in the life of this church. We've taken typically the Sunday after Easter to look at an appearance of Jesus, but not over an extended period of time. And so I trust that as we take uh, an in-depth look at the appearances that Jesus made from the time of his resurrection to the time of his ascension, we will be blessed. Pastor John began our study last week by looking and speaking to one of the the, uh, appearances that he made to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And in this message... Uh, He talked about uh, a few different things, and I'll I'll come to that in just a second. And then uh, next week, Pastor Marcus will come and share from John chapter 21, the catch of fish, where Lord again appears to seven of his disciples. We're going to pause our series after next week, and then two weekends from today, Brother Zach Poonin will be with us, and he will minister to the church here at Abundant Life, whatever the Lord has placed on his heart. And then we will get back into this series of messages and finish it out in early uh, June. But Pastor John began last week by looking at uh, the appearance that Jesus made to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And one of the common themes that Jesus faced after his resurrection was an unwillingness of his disciples to believe that, in fact, he was alive. And Jesus records uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, he says to those two disciples, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so again, Jesus was trying to uh, come against this lack of faith that his disciples had, post-resurrection and he explained and opened the scriptures to these two disciples he broke bread with them and then the Bible says he opened their eyes and they recognized that it was Jesus that was with them and then he disappeared and then they left Emmaus and went back to Jerusalem and said it is true for all that they had heard in the past about Jesus being alive was in fact true And so Jesus faced a great deal of doubt, a great deal of uncertainty in the hearts of his disciples about the truth of his resurrection. And one of the well-known stories that the scriptures share with us is the story of Thomas, one of the 12 disciples who is called Doubting Thomas, for he had a serious doubt about whether or not Jesus was in fact alive. So let's stand as we prepare to honor the reading of God's word. In John chapter 20, if you'll turn there with me. John chapter 20, we'll read verses 24 through 29. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst. And said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. You may be seated. It was Sunday morning when Jesus came out of that tomb, and he first appeared to three women, and then a few hours later, he appeared to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then later that night, the text tells us that Jesus appeared to his disciples the 10 who uh, he spent a great deal of time with. And one of those disciples, Thomas, was not present. I think it's interesting that uh, he was not present. I wish that we had more insight into why he was not present. Perhaps it was because of the doubt that he had, but we can't be sure. And so Thomas wasn't there, and so Jesus appeared to those disciples and he showed to them in their unbelief that he was alive. And then it says eight days later, he came back to be with them. So for the eight days, Thomas was hearing from the disciples and from others that Jesus was alive, that they had seen Jesus. And I think it's interesting that although Thomas had spent three and a half years with these disciples and with Jesus, and when his co-workers had said to him that they had seen Jesus, that he was alive, with them in one of their homes just a few days ago that he was reluctant to believe that, in fact, Jesus was alive. He couldn't place any trust in the uh, co-workers that uh, he had ministered with for the past three and a half years. And I think it really speaks to something going on in the heart of Thomas. Now, an easier response would have been, after hearing from my co-workers that Jesus was, in fact, alive, an easier response would have been, wow, praise the Lord. But that wasn't the case with Thomas. He had great reservation in his heart. In fact, it says in verse 25 of John 20, Thomas said, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nail nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so Thomas needed physical proof that Jesus wasn't was alive. It wasn't enough that he heard from his disciples that he was alive. It wasn't even enough for Thomas that he saw Jesus himself personally. He needed physical proof. So the question that we must ask is, why was Thomas so stubborn to believe that Jesus was, in fact, alive, to believe what he heard? Turn with me to Mark chapter 16 for an answer to that question. Mark chapter 16, at verse 14, Jesus, this is the same account written by Mark, and he says in verse 14 of Mark 16, afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves. So we know that Thomas was present as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And so the first takeaway that we have from this story is this. Unbelief is the symptom of a hardening heart. Unbelief is the symptom of a hardening heart. Now, if you were around me and I suddenly began to cough and to sneeze uh, and and you saw my nose was running and I told you that I'm feeling a bit warm as if I had a fever, right away you would think that I at least have a cold and perhaps even some bacterial infection or virus. And it's because you see the outward symptoms and because of those outward symptoms, You recognize that there's something wrong inside of me. Unbelief is a symptom of a hard heart, and we see it from Thomas in particular. Now, all the disciples were hard to believe, but not so with Thomas. There was uh, something uh, stronger in his heart that kept him from believing all that he heard. Turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, for more understanding into the hardness of our hearts and how it relates to unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, the writer says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. The King James Version says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so that language is the language of warning. Take heed. This is something that we must pay attention to, that there not be an unbelieving heart in us. And what we learn from this passage of Scripture is two things. The first is an unbelieving heart is an evil heart. So God's word makes it clear that when there's unbelief in our heart, it's because there's evil in our heart. And number two, an unbelieving heart causes a person to fall away from the living God. And so when we don't believe God and we don't take him at his word, the result is that we fall away from faith. We fall away from trust in him. So what is it that causes our hearts to be hardened? Verse 13 gives us the answer of Hebrews chapter three, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is at the root of so many problems that we have in our lives and in this world today. And it's the deceitfulness of sin that causes a hardening uh, to take place in our heart. And we know that in the heart of Jesus, his heart was perfectly soft before his father. He was able to take his father at his word. And the result was that he lived a life of perfect obedience to the commandment and instruction of his father. But the practice of sin will make us think that we know better than God. And at times it will Uh, even in a very arrogant way, think we know best over uh, our lives. A couple of examples. When you look in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord had delivered his people, Israel, out of bondage in Egypt. And his statement to them was that I will be your God and you will be my people. But because they didn't believe that, they went to the Lord and said, "Ah, we we don't know that we want that we would rather have judges we would rather have kings to rule over us instead of you and so God being the gracious person that he is says fine and he allowed these judges and these people to rule over his people but when you read in the Old Testament in the book of first kings and second kings it says that most of the kings and the rulers over God's people did evil in the sight of God and when the leadership is corrupt Then they lead the people into corruption themselves. God also said, as he brought them out of Egypt, I will bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. But what was their response? Their response was to complain, was to murmur. And eventually they said, there are giants in this land and we can't defeat these giants. The Lord had already said, I'm going to give you this land. But they said, no, we don't believe that you can give us this land. And it's because of the sin that was in them. They were hesitant to believe what God had stated to be true. The same is true in the New Testament. When we receive a word like we do from Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, uh, what you will wear. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And if we believe Jesus to be true and that word to be true, why is it that so many Christians today worry about the details of their lives? We worry about things like jobs. We worry if we're going to be able to keep our job this year. There's been talk about layoffs coming. And if we lose our job, we worry whether or not we're going to get another job. We worry whether or not the Lord will provide for us. We worry about things like retirement. Will I be able to finance my retirement? We worry and think and become anxious about things like financing our kids' education. Can we get this next job promotion? Jesus said, do not worry about your life. But because of the hardness that's in our heart due to the deceitfulness of sin, it can become difficult for us to take Jesus at his word. The reality is if we took Jesus at his word and we never worried about our life, then we would always live in a perfect place of rest and peace. And this is what he has for us. This is the eternal life that Jesus wants to give us. That we always live in a place of rest and peace. And there were years ago when I used to wonder about and worry about my wife's job. There was a season where it looked like she was going to be laid off and we were concerned and and stressing out over it. And lo and behold, she didn't lose her job. In fact, the Lord not only kept her job, but eventually she was promoted on her job. And I recognized from just that one incident that the Lord, what he said was true. I don't have to worry about my life. We don't have to worry about our lives, even if she had lost her job. The Lord is faithful to take care of us in the interim until he opens the door for another job. And so it's the hardness of our hearts that causes us to be reluctant to believe all that Jesus and the word of God tells us. What protects us from a hard heart? Go back to Hebrews chapter three, verse 13. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what protects us from a hard heart is to encourage one another. And the best way that we can encourage one another is to encourage one another through God's word. For it's God's word that activates our faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Go with me to Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 18. We should encourage and take every opportunity that we have, especially when people are facing very difficult and challenging circumstances in our lives. We should take those opportunities to encourage people from God's word. And here's an example of a great word of encouragement for all of us who are facing very difficult circumstances. Luke chapter 18, verse 27 says, this is Jesus speaking, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Isn't that a wonderful word of encouragement for circumstances that we are facing? Things that are impossible with people, Jesus said, are impossible with God. Now, if our hearts are hard, we won't believe that. But if our hearts are soft, then we will say, yes, Lord, I believe that whatever my circumstances might be, that you are able to bring a solution. And we see this over and over again in the scriptures, one of the great examples of how God How nothing is impossible with God is in the Old Testament when God delivered his people through Moses uh, out of bondage in Egypt. They left Egypt and then they come to the Red Sea. And they're standing with the sea in front of them and Pharaoh's chariots, the enemy, behind them. Now, this is a very, very difficult problem in the eyes of the Israelites. And they had no idea what to do. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 40, uh, Exodus chapter 14, that great fear came into their hearts and they started complaining to Moses. But what did God tell Moses to do? He told Moses to lift up your staff and I will send a wind through the sea that will raise up the waters on both sides like walls. That in and of itself is an amazing miracle. But what makes it even more amazing is that The people walk through on dry ground. (laughs) On dry ground. And so what does that say to us? That no matter what problem you and I might face in this world today, God has an answer. He has a solution for us. That's what the miracles were all about. To show that whatever problems you and I might face, he always has a solution. But oftentimes we so fixate on our problems and we think about them so much that we don't think about the fact that Jesus is present with us, ready to help solve the problems that we face. We should be a people who are quick to take our problems to the Lord in prayer, and the result is that we give them over to him, and then we stay in a a place of rest and in a place of peace. Unbelief is a very serious thing. It's a symptom of a heart that is infected by the deceitfulness of sin. And the writer of Hebrew gives us this warning to take heed that there not be in any one of us an unbelieving heart towards the living God. So that's the first takeaway that we can learn from the story of Thomas. The second one, going back to John chapter 20. Verse 26 and 27 says after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas said to them and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. The second takeaway that we can learn from this story is Jesus in love meets us right where we are. Thank God that we have such a loving Savior that he meets us right where we are, no matter how doubtful we might be. And that's what we see here. Jesus met Thomas right where he was. Now, the worldly response to Thomas's unbelief would sound something like this. This would be Jesus speaking if he were a worldly person. He would have said to Thomas, Thomas, I can't believe you don't believe that I'm in fact alive. I told you just days before I was uh, crucified that in fact I would be crucified. But I also told you that in three days I would be alive again. I would come out of that grave. And yet you still don't believe me. And if that's not enough, I appeared to three women and I appeared to the other disciples. And by the way, Thomas, you weren't there. Why weren't you there? You should have been there so that you could see myself so that you could see yourself that, in fact, I was alive. But we'll save that for another day. Jesus could have responded that way if he were a worldly person. But because he is fully God, And he has the compassion of God. It's the love of Jesus in his heart for Thomas that causes him to provide the exact proof that Thomas needed. Remember, Thomas needed to see three things. He needed to see three pieces of physical evidence. The first is he wanted to see his hands. The second was he wanted to place his finger into the imprint of the nails. And the third was he wanted to place his hand into Jesus' side. That's what Thomas said he needed to do before he would believe. And so what does Jesus do? He says in verse 27, reach here with your finger, number one, and see my hands, number two, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side. This second appearance that Jesus made to his disciples was specifically for Thomas so that he could help Thomas to believe. And this is a word for all of us, that Jesus and his love for us as his followers will meet us right where we are, even if there's great unbelief and hardness of our hearts. That's what Jesus did. Everything that Thomas needed as physical evidence that Jesus was alive, Jesus provided for him exactly. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves us in this way? He recognizes where we are, and he lovingly convinces us on our own terms of his presence that he is near. Have you ever had those times in your life where the Lord appeared to you, the Lord spoke a very specific word to you, and you knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was the Lord? Have you ever had those times? I see many of you nodding yes. That's Jesus convincing us in those times where we're doubtful, where we're fixated on our problems and our issues. Every time the Lord comes to us, it's to assure us that He is near. When He does something miraculous in our life, it's to assure us that you can trust me, that I'm near. It's the same thing that He did for Thomas. He came and provided the proof that Thomas needed that He was near. But after Jesus provided the proof to Thomas, he said, stop being so unbelieving, but believe. The New International Version says, stop doubting and believe. And this is Jesus's uh, commandment to us, his word to us today, that we should stop doubting and believe. We should stop doubting, even in the midst of our challenging and difficult circumstances, we should stop doubting and believe. This is the second of three takeaways. The last of the takeaways is found in verses 28 and 29 of John chapter 20. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who, do not, who did not see and yet believed. The third takeaway that we can take from this story is Jesus commends a faith that needs no visual proof. Jesus commends a faith that needs no visual proof. This is the essence of true faith. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 for a definition of faith. Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, in the court of law, physical evidence is important. That's how you bring a conviction uh, against the defendant. But in God's kingdom, physical evidence is not necessary. What's necessary is this, the Word of God. It's the Word of God that brings faith. That's what Romans 10:17 says. None of us have met Jesus uh, physically in our lives. He was on this Earth 2,000 years ago, and yet we believe Jesus as Christians, and we follow him uh, as uh, His disciples. Because of what this book tells us, we believe this book to be the word of God. We believe it to be true. We believe it to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we believe that it was written for our instruction. And so because we believe it, we place our faith in this word. A person that is a person of faith will say, if God says it, if it's written in this book, I believe it and that settles it. And this is the place that I hope to stay always. I want to always live in a place of faith where if this book says it, I believe it and that settles it. But the person who lacks faith will read something in this book and say, I'm I'm not so sure that I believe that. I'm not so sure that I agree with that. And I think when we make statements like that, it's the epitome of arrogance. Again, we're talking about God. And it's like his word is true. There's a scripture that says, let God be true and every man a liar. In fact, let's take a look at that in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verse 1. Then what... No, let's go to verse three. What then? If some did not believe their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. And so our unbelief, this text says, will not nullify the faithfulness of God. God is true. And uh, he goes on to say, though every man be found a liar. And so it's one thing to not understand God's word. That's okay. All of us are on a journey towards a greater understanding of God's word. But it's quite a different thing. When we read God's word, we know what the word says. And then we say, I don't agree with it. In essence, we are saying I am true and God is a liar. And when we are in a place like that, when that is part of our thinking, then we are terribly deceived and we need to come back into walking and fellowship with God. Our guiding principle of faith must always be that God is true to every word that he has spoken. God's word is true. And if we agree with it, then and believe it and walk and live according to it, then we are blessed. But if we don't agree with it, then that doesn't change the truth of God's word. But one day on the day of judgment, we will all come to see that God's word is, in fact, true. So Jesus says that there is a blessing to those who believe without needing visual proof. And whether we know it or not, every single day we place our faith in things that uh, we don't have visual proof that uh, it's necessarily true and accurate. A great example of that is two days ago, my wife, uh, for her job, had to drive up to Napa. And Napa, as we all know, is about 80 miles away, and my wife, for lack of a better term, is directionally challenged. And she doesn't necessarily know her north from her south and her east from her west. And so years ago, we bought her a uh, A GPS device for her to put in her car she does a lot of uh, traveling uh, for her job and so we knew that it would be a blessing for her to have this GPS system in her car and so as she got ready Friday morning to head up to Napa she grabbed this device she put the address uh, into it and then she hit go and then she she put it on the top of her dashboard and guess what she did she followed the instructions They told her to jump on 84 and then to jump on 880 and then eventually 80 and to cut across and exit here and take this road and exit there and do this and do that. And she followed everything that this lady, who she never met, told her to do. (laughs) She never met this lady before, and yet she followed every instruction that she had. And the result was that Shanice arrived in Napa for her meeting. Now, Shanice didn't say, I need to meet the people who built this device before I'll believe it. Shanice didn't say, I need to lay eyes on the astronaut who placed the satellite in orbit that's looking down on me before I'll believe it. She didn't have to do any of that. All she had to do, based on what she heard from other people that this device was true and that it will get you from point A to point B. All she had to do was simply take it and use it and follow its directions in order for her to arrive at her destination safely. Now the reality is God created the people who created this device. And God created the people who flew the satellites up into the, uh, up into the sky that orbit the earth, that watch over us. And so if God can do all of this And we can place our faith and trust in a little device with a lady who's speaking to us that we don't know. How much more are we to place our full faith and trust in the word of God? How much more are we to place our full faith and trust in God's word? Brothers and sisters, it has nothing to do with our feelings. It has nothing to do with our intelligence. This is why God tells us that we should have the faith of children. It's a child that trusts their mommy and daddy no matter what. And that's what God wants from us, that we be children of faith, children of his. Another thing that we can recognize is that faith produces obedience. Look with me at Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, beginning at verse 25, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, so there's the word of God, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. But now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, again, God's word, according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. When we believe God's word, when we truly believe that this is God's word, it produces obedience. It produces obedience in all of us just like we believe a GPS device will get get us to our destination, and we follow that, those instructions, the same is true for those of us who believe in God's word. And so we thank God for his word and the faith that he seeks to to grow in all of us. And all of us are on a journey towards growing in our faith. We all start off as infants uh, in faith. And as God continues to to uh, manifest his presence among us, the result is that we continue to grow in faith. We continue to trust him, to take him at his word. And the mature believer is one who totally and completely surrenders their life to the Lord because they know that his word is trustworthy. And so Thomas needed to see, actually he needed to touch Jesus in order for him to believe that Jesus was in fact alive. But you and I, brothers and sisters, are blessed because we believe it even though we've never met Jesus. We believe it because this book, God's Word, says it's true. We don't need the physical proof that Thomas did, but Jesus was so loving towards Thomas and so loving towards us that he will give us whatever we need to prove his presence is near us. Jesus confronted little faith in Thomas, even though Thomas had eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry and his resurrection. But you and I should have great faith because you and I have the scriptures that are written for our instruction. And you and I have the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And with those things, we can stop doubting and believe the word of God. To God be the glory.